Yeah, you're trying to get me all fired up. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I'm, I'm very hungry, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to poke the bear. We have got a ton to talk about coming out of week one of the CFL season, and is it all about overreactions? ton of things that popped off the page in week one, but how many of those things are sustainable going forward? All that and more as we welcome you to week two of the CFL Fantasy Podcast presented by Leo Vegas. Go to cflfantasy.tsn.ca. It's time to set your lineups already for week two. Two, you are playing for a $5,000 CFL prize pack that includes tickets to the Grey Cup in Calgary, along with two Grey Cup replica rings. We have got a jam-packed show. Just the three games in Week 2. We're already into a three-game week, two weeks into the season, but boy, do we have a lot to talk about. My name is Pat Steinberg, joined alongside Hannah Nordman and Jeff Creever as we are underway for Week 2. Yeah, what a week it was, and I love this time of year because it's a great time for overreactions and and sort of making bold statements based off a small sample size and sample size is sort of key here but we tend to throw all that out the window because we're so starving for football after the long off season and and uh that's okay because it's fun to fun to dream big and think that that Trevor Harris might throw for 8,000 yards this season why not right hasn't happened before but it could um some really good quarterback performances in week one, including that of Trevor Harris, who is absolutely fantastic against the Montreal Alouettes. A couple of names that struggled, though, to the surprise of some people, certainly me, Mike Riley and Bo Levi Mitchell, the two best quarterbacks uh, in the league for a while now. Um, they've sort of gone back and forth as, as most outstanding players. And Riley, in his much-hyped debut with the BC Lions, not his best performance, and Bo Levi Mitchell, his offense didn't score a point in the second half. And I'll read you some of the numbers in a moment, but first I want to hear from either of you, Pat and, and Hannah, is there even a shred of concern stemming from, from either one of their performances from week one? I wouldn't say there's concern, but clearly there's still a little bit of work to do in BC, more than I thought there might be coming into that new offense. So maybe I might pump the brakes a little bit on spending for Riley, uh, but not for long. And I, I still would consider playing Riley in week two. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like it. Concern, no. Surprise, yeah. To see both those guys struggle in the same week like they did to open the season, to see the Stampeders lose a home opener at McMahon Stadium, to see the BC Lions uh, held to as little offense as they were in their first game of the season at home. Yeah, it was certainly surprising. Am I concerned? No. And and even if it takes Riley a few weeks to get the offense down, he's still going to be one of the top two productive quarterbacks in the CFL. And look, I'll be honest, I, I can't ever remember seeing Bo Levi Mitchell playing that poor a game in the regular season as a starter. So I don't think that's the norm either. So I'm not concerned by it. I was certainly shocked by it. I didn't expect them to be two of the biggest disappointments of week one. That's for sure. Now, here's where things get complicated. Because this is week one. We're coming off week one. This is where we tend to overthink things, right? If this happens in week 10, you have that context. You say, well, Mike Riley's having a great season. He's had a bad game. Or, you know, Bo Levi Mitchell, yeah, it's a bad half. It happened to him last year too late in the season in a game against the Montreal Alouettes, right? It was a really low-scoring game, and, and he had his struggles. But you kind of just shrug and say, okay. Combined, those two quarterbacks in week one, 
7.7 yards per attempt, right? Two quarterbacks that are usually closer to that nine yards per attempt. Uh, more interceptions than touchdowns with three picks and only two touchdowns. They both completed below 60% of their attempts and their combined rating, uh, 74.7, would put them among the worst ranked quarterbacks uh, league-wide in week one. So I think there are questions on both sides. I think they'll both bounce back. believe I Mitchell gets a bye week um, and Mike Riley a big emotional game against the Eskimos in week two. And I think the three of us agree that there isn't much cause for concern yet, but something to keep an eye on, I guess. Sure, if it goes week after week. But one of the things I saw with Riley particularly was a lot of passes going through hands, a lot of capture ball balls not being caught and some long ones that could have been some big yardage. Uh, I think Burnham let two go right through his hands. So they're close. These guys are close, and that could have been the difference between a lackluster performance and a huge one because both of those would have kept drives going. I will say this. Mike Riley did go over 200 passing yards in the first half. Uh, The offense looked like it was clicking at that point. It was in the second half where it kind of faltered. And you know what? Maybe I didn't give the Bombers' defense enough credit going into this one. They had a lot of change in the secondary, and they did a pretty good job in the second half. A lot of those drops, they were contested. They weren't wide open. Yeah. They were good. They were well-played balls by the defenders, and uh, they made life difficult. So I think that that offense, like any, it'll click as time goes on. And uh, I've, I've sort of predicted in the past, we could see a slow start from the Lions. I think week by week, they're going to get better. Although you also did say that Mike Riley was going to have his best game of the season in week one. I don't know if I said that straight up. <laughs> I was, I was, you guys convinced me otherwise. And I would, I would go, I I would roll back the, this this is a time (laughs) where I would roll back the tape to, to see if he said that, because I am uh, 112% positive. I think Mike Riley's going to have one of his best weeks of the season this week. When I said slow start to the season for Mike Riley, I was ridiculed especially about not getting the snaps in preseason. So No, 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 but you can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that you were right about them having a slow start and also say that Mike Riley was going to have the biggest game of the season when we look back on it. So hopefully that's not the biggest game of the season for Riley, but you can't, you can't really have it both ways, can you? I'll check the tape and redeem one of you in this. <laughs> let's, let's go. I can roll it back. One of his best weeks of the season this week. I'm quite, I'm quite confident I'll be vindicated on this one. One of his best. Hey, look, here's, here's where I, Jeff, you talk about, you know, if this is week 10 or week 11, we'd have a little bit more context, which is true. The good news is that with both Riley and Mitchell, we've got plenty of historical context to know that when they have bad games, they usually bounce back. Now, there's a couple of mitigating factors here. Riley's in a new offense with a new team, and it is, you know, week one, and there's been some changes on both sides, so we don't know, and it's rare that we see both guys have bad weeks at the same time, especially to start the season, but I still would say that my concern level is low on both fronts, but we'll see. Those numbers that you threw out are not pretty. That was not a good second half for the Stampeders. There were some struggles uh, throughout the game for the BC Lions as well, so we'll see how both guys do in their next games. Bo Levi Mitchell week three, and of course the BC Lions and Edmonton Eskimos play in week two. Speaking of the Eskimos, folks, they were the team 
to have on your roster in week one. If you had Eskimos in your lineup, you were feeling pretty happy with things. Uh, Trevor Harris was the highest scoring fantasy player in week one with 37.1 points. He was followed by Kenny Stafford, CJ Gable, and Ricky Collins. All of his teammates. So the Eskimos were the team to pick in week one. Also a good week for running backs. Seven had 15 or more as Gable, Andrew Harris, and Moses Madu all hit the 20-point mark. The second best quarterback after Harris might surprise you. Did not throw a single touchdown pass. In fact, threw four interceptions. But Dominique Davis was the second highest scoring quarterback. Uh, More on him a little bit later. Outside of Collins and Stafford in Edmonton, uh, who are both very good value, B.J. Cunningham at 23 points. He was the next best receiver. Brian Burnham, Drew Wolitarski, and Brandon Banks all reached the 20-plus point benchmark. And the value buys, there were a lot of them in Week 1. We talked about that last week, guys. But uh, Lamar Durant, Juwan Breskison, Deron Carter, Sean Thomas Erlington, Katie Cannon, and Caleb Hawley all had really strong games and all helped your salary cap quite a bit. All right, let's let's talk about our week one winners. There, there were a lot of points flying around, as Pat sort of alluded to there. Uh, congrats to our nationwide leader through week one. I, I don't know how to say this name, so I don't even know if I'll attempt it. There's barely a vowel among the bunch. Uh, well, Dekertschig? Dekertschig? Sure. Am I close? Uh, he yeah, there's had... only, there's three value, there's three vowels, they're all eyes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's confusing. Doesn't roll off the tongue. I think I got it. Uh, he had the four top fantasy players in, in the week, so how about that? Uh, and finished with 165.5 points. Hannah crunched some numbers, as she often yep. does. Uh, and the, the best possible lineup, the optimal lineup yep. uh, that you can fit under the cap was what? 172.3 points for $39,387. And you could have all of the top scoring players of the week that fit in the salary. Trevor Harris, Kenny Stafford, Ricky Collins, BJ Cunningham, CJ Gable, Andrew Harris, and then take your pick, either Edmonton or Ottawa D. That'll get you over 172 points in week one. Without using any of those bonus dollars. Yeah. So impressive. Um, and the one, even the 165.5 out of the, the no highest kidding. possible maximum, that's close. He almost nailed it. He almost had the perfect team, uh, he or she, uh, de so uh, congrats on that one. And you know what? That's, you take that point total and look back to last year, that would have been one of the higher leaders from yep. all the weeks last season. So if, if week one was any indication of what we're in for uh, in, in the coming weeks, the rest of the season, it's going to be a fun one. Of the three of us, we all did pretty well. Uh, and like I said, the, the inflation here helps a little bit, makes us all look a little better than last year. But uh, we... Week one standings, Pat, as much as it pains me to say, leading the way with 121.5 points. Really good start. You could tell, you could probably feel the confidence of Pat Steinberg early on in the podcast. He's a, Man, he's a different I got, Pat Steinberg. I got, off to, I got off to a good start last year and it kind of petered out. So well, I'm, I'm very measured with my, uh, with my confidence. That's it's, not what I'm getting. It's that's very, not the vibe uh, I'm it's getting. It's modest right now. My, my Steinberg confidence meter is breaking right now. The mercury's high. It's through the roof. I finished in second, uh, nearly 23 points behind with 98.2. Just wanted to get that 100. That's all I wanted. That's yeah. my goal every week. Hit 100 points. Don't worry. It's like golf. Don't worry about what your friends are doing. Don't worry about what your enemies are doing. Not that I have any enemies. 
Well, just focus on your own game and, and uh, you know, because you'll just get rattled and, and try to be a hero. But no, hit that 98.2. Still not bad. And Hannah, uh, less than two points behind with 96.5. So not a bad haul. Nobody embarrassed themselves. Um, we, all, we all got back on the bike and, and rode pretty well. No, no real no real incidents. I was pretty nervous going into that last game because a lot of my week relied you on that. You put everybody in the, yeah, you put game. all the cookies in one jar. So uh, yeah. pretty nerve-wracking. I thought Pat was going to go off for 150, but it, he had a lot of players in the second half uh, of that Calgary-Ottawa game where things all of a sudden, the offense is just went silent suddenly right so i think he'll, yeah, I he'll feeling, settle for his i was feeling really good yeah. in the uh, first half of that ottawa calgary game because you're like geez everybody it, it, it certainly did slow down a little bit as that second half kind of ground to a halt but uh yeah it was a pretty good i i don't think i think last year we had pretty good week one scores too so hopefully none of us uh hit that embarrassing under 40 total in 2019 flash flash if I just keep yelling flash, does the fantasy flash just happen? Bit of a low news week because it's early on. We are recording this on Monday. But so far, here's what we've got for the fantasy flash. Zach Kalaros has been placed on the six-game injured list. He left the game on the very first drive versus Hamilton and did not return. The Riders have signed quarterback Brian Bennett. He joins Cody Pajardo and Isaac Harker as the team took the practice field on Sunday in preparation for a Thursday night game in Ottawa. The team's still not sure who's getting the start in week two. Yeah, and it's, it sounds like it's going to be either Fajardo or Harker, and I'm guessing it's going to be some combination combination of both either way. So probably a situation we're looking to avoid at quarterback. I don't know if the Riders quarterback was number one on anyone's list anyway going into this week, the way things so. have gone for them uh, so far. But uh, that was a short flash. That really was a flash. It Put is the, a flash. Uh, let's let's jump into the the topic, the real topic, the meat of the show, and it's the way too early conclusions because we talked we touched on it a little bit in our intro, and that first week of the season, always the perfect time to draw conclusions and have a little bit of fun with it, uh, and, and a chance to overreact, and we saw a lot of them this week. So Hannah, do we let's go through this list of of week one. The stats that are never going to be that are, reached. That are never going to be reached. <laughs> but, hey, it's fun to dream. We've got Trevor Harris on pace for 8,046 passing yards. Super achievable. Dominique Davis, 72 interceptions. That one could that happen. happen. Right? Uh, you know, he has a five or six interception game one week, and then, no, we'll be nicer to no. Dominique. It's, he's going to get it together. He's also on pace for 54 rushing touchdowns. So you we're go. going to... He's give going, him credit for all those interceptions. At least was, give him those rushing touchdowns. I think it was James Franklin who put up the big rushing touchdown total last year. So he's he's going for that mark mm-hmm. right now, clearing it fivefold. Uh, the Lions Bombers game, whether depending on which way you look at it, um, the Lions are on pace to rush for seventy-two yards the entire season. Yes, they had four. Uh, in their week one game. Or if you're the Bombers, you, you think you've got the best run defense on the on the history of the planet, right? Maybe. Four rushing yards per game. Is that Willie Jefferson magic? Uh, C.J. Gable, over 3,000 yards from scrimmage, nearly 3,300 actually. Uh, really good game from him uh, on the ground and had that nice touchdown grab from Trevor Harris. Guys, I think C.J.'s for real this year. We'll talk about him uh, as the show goes on. Moses Madu. 
432 carries if, if Ottawa's offense can keep running it down opponents' throats. Uh, the Calgary Stampeders' defense, here's one for you. Zero sacks. Did not record a sack in the first game uh, of the season. And Ricky Collins, how about this? 162 catches, uh, 3,150 yards. If Ricky Collins uh, repeats his week one every single week of the season. I'd take those totals. That'd be nice to cash in on something like that. Jeff, you had to slip in some uh, Stampeders defense slander into those stats, didn't you? Pat doesn't like that. (laughs) Pat, That's going to get a negative reaction from Pat. Because Pat is very high on the Stamps defense still, and, I, and I'm a little bit iffy, to say the least. But uh, so far, it's inconclusive. I, I, I'm not going to say that Calgary's defense had an amazing game in Week 1, um, though Trey Roberson with three interceptions, that was pretty cool to see. What are... What are uh, obviously, none of these are realistic, but what early conclusions are you guys making from Week 1, if any? Uh, what, what, what's changed your mind so far? And what do you think is a myth? What's something that's been overstated a bit? You know, the thing that jumps off the page to me that I, I really... Of all those things, the only one that I'm going to have an eye on going forward... I mean, I think Trevor Harris is going to have a good year. I think Gable is, is going to have a good year. I think Madhu is going to be the number one on the depth chart uh, for the rest of the season in Ottawa. But those totals, not sustainable. And I don't think that the BC Lions are going to be as anemic on the ground as they were in week one either. But that's the one that I'm curious about. A Mike Riley-led team that has receivers like Durant, Carter, Burnham, so on and so forth. Not only did John White only gain four yards on the ground, the Lions only ran the ball four times. So so that's, that's the one that's interesting to me. I, I'm curious to see how many times and and how much of a part of the offense the run game is going to be for the Lions. Because look, you know, last year and the year before, once C.J. Gable got to the B.C. Lions late in 2017 and and throughout 2018, while he had an up-and-down year statistically, he was still a part of that offense. I'm curious to see what the Lions do with their run game. So that's really interesting to me after seeing them only run the ball four times. The rest, yeah, those are all probably myths in terms of the actual totals, but the one to watch watch for I think is what BC does and how they structure their offense in 2019 yeah obviously these totals are bonkers and not not achievable uh in pretty much any way but I was really overlooking Edmonton um so I guess for me the conclusion is that they're not here to mess around I spend so much time talking and thinking about Winnipeg BC and Calgary that I completely overlooked this team offensively and it's not something that I'm going to be doing from here on out. They're obviously not going to put up massive games like that. Trevor Harris can't score 35 points every week, but um, I'm definitely looking to get some of these guys into my lineup now. I think there's some truth to that Ricky Collins breakout. That's for sure. We've seen what some of the top receivers in Edmonton have done year after year under Jason Moss, right? The names, uh, Darrell Walker, Darius Bowman. Brandon Zilstra, Duke Williams. Every year, it seems like an Eskimo is, is leading the race. And if it's not Greg Ellingson this year, which I still think he'll be up there, Ricky Collins is a super athletic receiver who they're going to get the ball in, in ways that he's going to do a lot of damage. So, I, I you know, we're not talking 3,000 yards here, but is a, is a 1,400-yard season uh, possible, even realistic for Ricky Collins? Yeah, I think at this point it is. Um, 
With my myth, I'm, I'm going to go with, with Moses Madu. I, I don't think at this point in his career, and it's no disrespect to him because he had a good game, and he's a fine veteran running back. I just don't think he's going to become one of the star running backs of the CFL at this point. And I'm not going to jump on that bandwagon and say he had an unbelievable week one. I, it was sheer volume, right? He, 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 he averaged 4.7 yards per carry. I mean, he got a ton of carries. He got a lot of opportunities. And he was grinding out yards, and that's what you got to do as a running back. But I don't think his job is totally safe. They got a young back there. Uh, Crockett's going to push him at some point. And I, I don't know. I, I'm just not, I'm not ready to go there uh, quite yet. I, I also think another one that's not a myth, uh, I think the Stamps defense may have a little bit of trouble getting pressure this year. I, I think this could be a bit of a continued theme. So... Something to watch for. Definitely different from the norm because they've been one of the best in the league in that aspect year after year. The one thing about, just before we move on, the one thing about Madhu is I right now, there's not a lot of guys that you can say are clear number one running backs on their teams. And for the time being, he is. So is he going to be that the rest of the year? That's not 100%. As of right now, he's pretty unchallenged at the top of the depth chart, especially with his week one performance. So at his price tag, I know you're not buying into the hype, Jeff, I know, and, and I know that you made that very clear early this morning on text, very early this morning, but, uh, but right now, he's a top of the depth chart, unchallenged running back, and there's always value in that. So that's the one thing that I would caution when talking about Madu. If you're, if you're not a believer, fine, but that volume ain't going anywhere. That's, that's the one thing I'll say. Well, spoiler alert, we'll talk about the running backs more later, but I, I do think there are a lot of uncontested uh, starting backs. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. And, again, it, Mo- Moses madu has been a reliable veteran his whole career, and it's good to see him get an opportunity. And, Hey, I would love to see a Moses Madu breakout at this point. And, and I even did consider taking him in week one. And, and Pat, that turned out to be a pretty darn good decision for you. So props on that one. And again, it's all about, it's all about the age with Jeff. He's like, at his age, he's only 31 years old. Running What's backs the don't break I'm out th- at age 31. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm th- Andrew Harris broke out at 31 last year at his best season well, ever. Andrew Harris was a superstar running back before he signed I in Winnipeg. I know, I know. Let's I just, like to, I just like to make right fun now. of you about you got your I just troll like to make fun game of you right about now. Your, your ageism. Yeah, you're trying to get me all fired up. Oh, absolutely. I'm very hungry, and I'm trying to I'm trying to poke the bear. <laughs> Pat's getting hangry at this point. Jeff does mention age anytime it's over the age of 30, so there's some merit to that. Um, let's stick with the Red Blacks because they pulled off a gutsy 32-28 win over the defending Grey Cup champs in Week 1, and most of the members of the Red Blacks seem almost offended that nobody picked them to win. I wouldn't even say almost. one. They were. They were full offended. On offended. Same with their fans. Very angry. CFL.ca felt the wrath of Ottawa Red Blacks fans this week. I, I can, can tell see you that fans much. being offended, but for players to speak out, yeah, you got to be pretty heated. It's not like they had anything that screamed, you should pick the Red Blacks to win this game, though, right? It was well, an they were almost like, entirely new team. They were like a 93% favorite on CFL Pick'em or something like that. So. <laughs> I mean, 93%. It was in the 90s. It was one of two games in the 90s. The other one being Edmonton and Montreal. Everybody was on Edmonton, which, hey, that was almost an upset too, right? So, Well, are, are they for real? Is this Red Blacks team for real? Are you willing to say that after a week one win? I'm curious about... I, 
Dominique Davis might be the most intriguing player in the CFL because he had some moments on Saturday night at McMahon Stadium where you were cringing and some of those throws, you're like, oh my goodness, they shouldn't be throwing that. But then there were some incredibly athletic plays where he's throwing cross body and he's looking off defenders and he's going to his fourth receiver through his progressions. You're like, okay, this guy can play. He had the three rushing touchdowns, but he didn't throw any and he had four interceptions. So I'm not ready to put Dominique Davis in my lineup by any stretch. Madu's a little bit more interesting to me because I do think the volume is going to be there. But I'm not ready to put Davis in my lineup. But I'm extremely excited, for better or worse, to see what this guy does over the next few weeks. Because, Jeff, the, the one thing you can't argue is that he's, he's exciting. Like, he makes things happen. It might not, not, might not always be good for his team. It might lead to a turnover. But there's always something going on when Davis is on the field. So he is fascinating to me going forward. It's quite the roller coaster watching an Ottawa Red Blacks game. <laughs> uh, the, thing, the funny thing is with Dominique Davis... It's not like he's got 50 career starts under his belt, right? It's that whole mystery, that, that fogginess of having never really seen him play uh, an extended stretch of games. And I even said last week in a different universe or, or maybe a less mature me a year ago, because uh, I've, I've, adulthood, you know, getting up there now, I've, I've gained so much wisdom in the last year, I didn't go with him in week one. And I kind of wish I had had a little more guts and done it. Um, but he was an effective fantasy quarterback all the running around. And, and he showed some accuracy at times. But like you said, he was inconsistent. I, I would just like to say I, I, think it's, I think it's a lot of fun to see an upset like that. And a lot of things had to go into that. And it's good for Antoine Pruneau, who he, he was the one that said he felt the most disrespected from that uh, going into the year. Um, the fans spoke out. He, uh, Ottawa's social media team spoke out. Like, this was a contentious thing going into the season. Ottawa not getting credit after winning, what, three of the last four East Division titles? The writers all picked Calgary. Power rankings had them eighth. We told you, stay away from the Red Blacks. Um, nobody really picked Dominique Davis this week. Look, CFL fans are smart. Uh, analysts are smart. They saw what Ottawa lost in the offseason, right? We all knew that. We, we, we sort of prefaced all that and said, that's a respect for the good players that they lost, right? Because they lost a lot. Those are good players. That's giving Deontay Spencer credit and Greg Ellingson and Trevor Harrison and Sir Vincent Rogers and then losing the coordinator right before the season. So, yeah, it, it, it is a shock. And it shouldn't have been a surprise that everybody picked against Ottawa yet. Here we are. Am I all in on the Red Blacks yet? No. I want to see more because I still thought that was an uncertain victory uh, in week one. Could have gone either way. And, hey, the Stamps didn't play their best game either. Not to take credit away from the Red Blacks, but it, it really was a coin flip when it all came down to it. They took their first lead with a minute 22 left in the game. Yep. I don't know if I could handle the emotional roller coaster that would be starting Dominique Davis. He only had three points through the air. I mean, if he's $5,000, I guess it's... He's still down there. Yeah. I I don't know if my stomach is strong enough for that. Um, in Saskatchewan, what now? Assuming Zach Kolaris is out for a while, what impact does this have on the Ryder offense? I wasn't that high on them before, so I don't know how much this changes 
for me. But you guys said that that preseason start that Caleros looked good in might be enough to kind of sway you to throw one of these guys in your lineup. Is that off the table now? Well, I mean, and we didn't even really get it. We didn't. We didn't get a chance at all to see whether or not we were right about Caleros because no. he wasn't. He wasn't able to, you know, get past the first quarter. So we Three weren't plays really, in. We weren't able to to find out whether or not the the preseason was going to carry over into the regular season. Here's where I am now, as the Riders need to figure out who they're going to go with over the next few weeks at quarterback. For now offensively, the Riders are a no-fly zone for me, and that includes William Powell at a great debut in green. It's just, if if they don't have a quarterback you can trust, and you're going to put a $9,000 running back in William Powell into your lineup, that's going to be a box-stacking type of defense on the other side for Ottawa in week number two. I know he's going up against his former team, and it's just, for me, it's, it's that's too risky a play to put a guy like Powell in. I'm certainly not loving any of the receivers, just because there's so much unknown there after what we saw. So I, right now, until I see a little bit more, Saskatchewan, for me, is a bit of a no-fly zone fantasy-wise other than their defense, which remains one of the, the top groups fantasy-wise. I think KD Cannon is cheap enough that he's worth you could take a, a flyer possible flyer mm-hmm. at 25. He's still 2,500. Why not? Um, but there's some risk there knowing you don't know how much he's going to get the ball. I'm still intrigued personally by William Powell and what he brings to the table. He's going to be such a big part of that offense, and there's something about the riders. They just know how to run the ball. They did it all last year, no matter who was in there. They, they were one of the top rushing teams in the CFL, and they didn't have great quarterback play last year. Well, it, it continued last week because they had a chance to win that game because of what William Powell did on the ground. So to me, it's interesting. Uh, still the highest salary for a running back, but I like what he brings to the table, and, and he's going to do... Well, he's going to be such a high percentage of that offense, sort of like an Andrew Harris situation in Winnipeg last year. With the Riders... The first pick I made this week on my fantasy team on that note, rider defense. So take from that what you will. But I don't I, know. I, I don't know they're about expensive. That. I built my team around them because if you have that one defense that you think is going to put up double digit points, you gotta go for it. And I think that's what's it's going funny. to happen. You know what the first pick on my team was? The Ottawa defense. That's very <laughs> interesting. The because oh. I just I don't I don't trust, I do not trust Saskatchewan's offense right now, especially with going into week two and early in the week not knowing who their quarterback's going to, I just, I don't trust it. I think Ottawa's a really interesting play defensively in week two. Well, it could be one of those games, right? So, it could be one of those games. All right, who's the more intriguing pick in week two at quarterback? Mike Riley, who struggled a bit in week one or Trevor Harris who had a monster week one you know what's interesting to me uh, about Trevor Harris and I know I wrote this as one of our talking points but we're kind of breezing through all this um, the goal line work because when they got down to the goal line it was Trevor Harris handling the football and getting the quarterback sneak and that's a big difference if he starts getting the sneaks from the one like Mike Riley was with the Eskimos last season Trevor Harris all of, a, all of a sudden becomes a lot more attractive as a fantasy option at quarterback every week for me. So that's that's something to watch. That's what I'll say going into all that. He's, uh, right now, if I had to choose between the two, with a $2,000 gap between the two guys and them playing one another in week two, 
I'm going Harris because this looks like a game that uh, has shootout written all over it. Two high-powered passing offenses going head-to-head. Uh, you've got Mike Riley returning to his former team or his former home, and, and I think there's probably going to be a little bit of extra added motivation to that, but I just don't see this one being a low-scoring game. I really don't, and I don't see it being a game that is low on passing yards. So with a $2,000 gap, even if you know Riley throws for 150 more yards than Harris does, I still think Harris is the more intriguing play, and especially coming off of what he did in week number one. I I still think Riley's going to be one of the most productive quarterbacks in the league in 2019. I'm not worried about that one bit, but when you're comparing the two of them and adding value to the conversation, it's a $2,000 gap. I think it's going to be a shootout, and that's why I lean towards Harris. Yeah, I take some stock in that $2,000 gap as well. Um, $9,200 is a great price for a guy who now has a higher ceiling than I think he did last year, or appears to. Seems like it. Yeah. Seems like it's a really good situation for him. And being back with Jason Moss, we talked about it on our, on our preview episodes. That's a big factor. Those two know each other well and had success together when Harris broke out with the Argos. And it's a perfect system for Trevor Harris to run that that features uh, his strengths and is also going to let him attack uh, down the field a little bit like we saw last week. I still like Riley more this week. I'm a little bit in disagreement with you guys there. I think he tends to bounce back really well. And I think whether you like it or not and whether you agree or not i think that emotion is going to play into it a little bit this is a really really big game for mike riley to win first game back in edmonton against his former team and on a on a scale of 1 to 10 uh, this is pretty high up on the need to win sliding scale for for mike riley so I think we're going to see him run a little bit more, and we're going to find him. We're going to see him find the end zone a little bit more as well against what looks like a pretty inexperienced Edmonton secondary. They got some athletes back there, but there's some plays to be had. We even saw it with Antonio Pipkin uh, and Vernon Adams Jr. last week. I think Riley's going to have a really big week against the Eskimos, and, and I agree. Like Pat said, I think it's going to be a shootout. Well, Jeff, this topic's for you because you love your Deron Carter, so. Did you like the connection that Carter and Riley had in week one? Carter put up 12 and a half points, targeted 10 times in week one. Uh, what did you think of the first game with those two together? Well, I think it sets an obvious precedent for what we're going to see. I mean, the third highest total of targets in the CFL uh, in, in week one, like you said, 10 times, he's a top option in that offense. This isn't Toronto where he's on the bench half the game or he's not being looked to at all. Yeah, he's out there. This is this is he's going to play, and he looked good. He gets separation. Uh, he's going to win those one-on-one battles. He's super athletic, and Mike Riley seems to trust him and really want to look in his direction uh, early on. So I do think I do think Dron Carter and Brian Burnham are going to be among the top uh, most productive receivers in the CFL when we're talking about this uh, heading into the playoffs. Yeah, I don't think that. Again, like Carter's almost a must start for me in week two. He's in my lineup hundred percent with that price tag. Yeah. I don't know how you can I don't know how you can't have him in your lineup at this point because I'm with you, Jeff. I, I believe Brian Burnham twelve targets, so he it was still it was still Carter being the number two option in that offense, but that doesn't matter. Like 
10 targets in a game and what he was able to put up for you at that price tag and what he can possibly put up for you going forward at that price tag, he's a number one fantasy option, If it, even if he's not the number one option on, on Mike Riley's wish list. I think Burnham and Carter are guys that you really think about stacking together as receivers. And if, if you're looking for that, you know, go big or go home type of stack, Riley alongside Burnham and Carter in week two, knowing the type of offense that we've got the potential to see in this matchup between BC and Edmonton, that is really intriguing to me. Did you see the trash talk? What is it, Jeff Hecht? Oh, it was Jeff Hecht, the new yeah. bomber safety. You know, for a new starter on the block, he's uh, he's got a little bit of moxie there, mocking Deron Carter after kind of giving up on a play over the middle. Um, you know, they, go, they call that hanging the receiver out to dry a little bit. Mike Riley tossing a tossing a floater up there in the no-fly zone in the middle of the field. And, and Deron Carter kind of just said, nah. And Jeff Hecht sort of said, you're a, you're a chicken. Yeah, went, pretty distinct uh, chicken gesture. Make a chicken noise, and, and uh, I, I think it's funny, but I'm I don't. Good with it. I don't. Uh, I don't think it's an indictment of Deron Carter either. I mean, I, I know I wouldn't have been going for that football. Jeff so. Hecht was too having a game too. Like he, had a he game. was feeling he looks good. good. He looks good. And, Guys, and have you seen? Have you seen Jeff Hecht's Twitter avatar photo? I wouldn't want to <laughs> yeah. get crushed by him over the middle either. So <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm just fine laying up on a play over the middle when that guy's about to wallop me. That, that dude is absolutely shredded. He's he not in bad shape. Me. Yeah, I I don't think I would walk again if I took a hit. He's not in bad shape. Um, Jeff, yeah, they're, they're mixing a cheeseburger. <laughs> That's Jeff Jeff Heck, not Jeff Creever. Jeff Heck oh, mixed thought... in a cheeseburger. <laughs> Jeff's also Jeff's also a skinny Jeff Creever's also a skinny little guy. So you know what? You need to mix in a I make, cheeseburger I make up with. For it. I'm fast enough. Be, I got the speed, be, so I'm a speed. Stick. Beyond meat burger. Mix a, in a beyond a meat burner. burger, Jeff. He's light on his feet. I'm a burner. Let's move on from this. This is going nowhere. <laughs> this isn't bringing anything useful or constructive right now. All right, we saw Andrew Harris absolutely tear up the Lions run defense um 9.3 yards per carry Harris had a great week over 20 points fantasy wise uh and up against CJ Gable who is $7,600 are the Lions run defense somebody you're going to be targeting when you're looking at running backs this season or is one week a little bit too early to say 9.3 is a crazy number Andrew Harris's yards per attempt in, in week one. And that that Lions defense didn't do great against the run last year. It's true. I'm it's interesting because that was one of the things that I wondered about going into going into the season is that was a team that had their issues against the run in 2018, but we know there was a lot of changeover and so I was gonna give them the benefit of the doubt in and I still am, but I'm uh I'm certainly I'm certainly interested to see what type of uh am I am I quite ready to be targeting them like we were targeting Montreal a year ago at this time? No, I'm not quite there. But you go take a look at that D line outside of Odell Willis. You know there's some there's some interesting questions there in terms of big time playmakers. So um, yeah, I'm not quite targeting them, but I'm I'm keeping an eye on C.J. Gable. He's a high price running back, but he's he's certainly one that you would want to think about having in your lineup. How much of it is BC struggling? 
and more Andrew Harris just being a dominant back. Well, I, I think there's a combination of both there. But historically, Andrew Harris has always done really well against the BC Lions. Maybe part of that is playing his former team and he can get up for those games. But you're talking about a BC Lions front that's that's relatively new, that's been reconstructed since Ed Hervey's arrived. You've got a third-year Canadian middle linebacker in, in Jordan Herdman, who he, he's looked really good at times, but he's young. Um, he, he's, he's not among the top linebackers in the league, at least not yet. Anyway, he hasn't earned that billing quite yet. Uh, you know, you've got Odell Willis, the veteran there, uh, and you like the guys inside, but just based on history, I, I think that's a unit that until they prove it, until they start shutting backs down, we've seen it this past week. Ottawa shut down Don Jackson. There are defenses that can shut down the run. We haven't seen that from the BC Lions. So that's a defense I'm, I'm probably looking to target this week with C.J. Gable. I think Gable should get lots of opportunities and, and a little bit of room to run. Over to the east, Jeremiah Mazzoli pretty expensive he's still under eleven thousand, but just barely basically 10 7 uh but up against a toronto team that he absolutely destroyed multiple times last season is mazzoli a good deal at that price it says too good of a deal to pass up on but that seems like a bit much at his price it's not that good a deal is it it is if he's putting up the numbers he did last year against the argos right I mean, last year he went absolutely off against that team. Yeah. If, if you think you're getting 30-plus points, uh, you're, you're, you're quite happy to spend that, uh, what, $10,700 fee to do that. And you can build a really good team around that still. That's not going to hamper your team. It's not going to create sacrifices elsewhere. Pat, what are your thoughts on this, this Mazzoli-Toronto matchup? Because I don't think it is what it was last year. I think it's different. Things have changed in Toronto. Yeah, the uh, the uh, like the thing that is interesting to to watch for is I think Toronto's a better team. I, I don't think that they're going to be the pushovers that they were last year, and I don't think Mazzoli's going to be able to tear them to shreds like he did in 2018. And you know, defensively, are they massive steps ahead? I don't know. They've made some improvements, but I think the biggest area that they're big steps ahead in is where they are on the offensive side of the ball. And I think that offense with James Franklin and Darrell Walker, and I think we've already talked about in our preview shows how we all believe that James Wilder Jr. is going to be a whole lot closer to his 2017 self than he was in 2018. So I think that offense is going to control the ball and have the ball a whole lot more. And that obviously puts them in a much better spot defensively and doesn't put them in continual short field situations and have them on the field uh, on a frequent basis. So I don't think that Hamilton's going to be able to have their way with Toronto like they did that last year. I, I think Toronto's going to put up a real tough test for them, and, and especially at home to finish off week two. I don't know if I'm. Uh, I don't know if I'm looking at Mazzoli as a bargain. That's for sure. With with Chris Jones being out of the league, I really do think that Corey Chamberlain is in the running as. One of the top defensive minds now. He's earned that billing, and he's young still. He's in his early 40s, but I think what we saw him do with that Argos team two years ago, Corey Chamberlain basically won the Argos a great cup two years ago. And we talk about what Ricky Ray did and the timely drives he had, but I've said it before, that offense wasn't that good 
the defense wasn't full of superstars, and yet Corey Chamberlain drew up schemes week after week that frustrated opposing quarterbacks. So I can't say enough about the difference going from Mike Archer as, a, as an unproven, unknown defensive coordinator last year to going back to Corey Chamberlain. And he's had a long time to prepare for that Hamilton matchup with a lot of tape from last year, albeit Tommy, Ken, Tommy Condell's the guy there now. I think Corey Chamberlain's going to have a lot of interesting uh, and confusing looks for Tommy Condell and Jeremiah Mazzoli in this, in this first game of the Argos season. And the Tigers haven't seen the Argos defense on tape yet, right? That's one edge that Chamberlain has over Condell. The Argos defense has put nothing on tape yet, and you can't count their preseason matchup because that, that's, that's a write-off, right? And he's not showing his cards in preseason. So I'd be a little worried to stack up on Ticats this week, at least until I mm-hmm. see uh, what the Argos defense is going to do this year. And, and I thought you made a good point about the offense as well, Pat. A better Argo offense means fewer, pos- fewer possessions, uh, fewer amount of seconds and plays with the ball in Jeremiah Mazzoli's hands. Well, and I got to say, well, Mazzoli, I mean, Mazzoli's getting off pretty easy here because we start off the show picking on Bo Levi Mitchell and Mike Riley for having down weeks. I know he was up against one of the top Ds in, in the league in Saskatchewan, but Jeremiah Mazzoli didn't even make it to 11 points in week one. 10.9 points for Jeremiah Mazzoli. The only guy he could get the ball to was Brandon Banks. The rest of his receivers had, what, less than yeah. three points? Madison had one catch. All of Hamilton's guys, or, or a lot of Hamilton's guys, extremely expensive. I know we're about to talk about one who's not, but Banks and Tasker are the top two most expensive receivers, and Mazzoli is the second most expensive quarterback. So I'm I'm a little wary of Hamilton right now, at least when it comes to the passing side of things. We were all pretty, well, Jeff and I at least, pretty high on, on Sean Thomas Erlington uh, because of his low price. He had an effective week. He had uh, about 13 points, even though he didn't finish off the game. He's still only $4,083, the cheapest of the starting backs. Uh, Are we still liking him as a value pick? I think at that price, it's definitely a value pick, especially compared to the ceiling with some of these other running backs now. You're you're, you're really getting up there. Unless you're going John White, but it's hard to trust the Lions rushing attack Mm -hmm. after a four-carry effort last week. Yeah, I I think that RB2, that's tailor-made for Sean Thomas Erlington right now. He's the lead back there. There's no, there are no questions about a running back by committee right now. The Ticats like him. He looked really good last week against uh, against a, a pretty good a pretty good run defensive front with Sask and, and Micah Johnson. Yeah, I'm all over him this week uh, and in a matchup where he should get quite a few catches, I'm thinking, uh, against the Argos defensive line. When we talked last week, we talked about Thomas Erlington and you know, I was a little skeptical because I didn't know how they were going to use Cameron Marshall and, and the fact that he wasn't going to be the guy. He was a great price last week, no doubt about it. And if you put him in your lineup, I did not. But if you put him in your lineup, you really liked the value. Well, he's not that much more expensive than he was last week. And now he's the unquestioned guy because Cameron Marshall went on the sixth game after we taped last week. Cameron Marshall's gone for the first third of the season for Hamilton. Right now, Sean Thomas Erlington's the guy. And at $4,100... 
if you're looking if you're looking for a high priced running back and then one of those lower priced guys, there's nobody that is even in the same stratosphere as Thomas Erlington here. So again, if Deron Carter's a must start, I think so is Sean Thomas Erlington. I, I look at it. And I was I, I took him out of my lineup. I was I was fiddling around with things about ten minutes ago, knowing that we were gonna talk about it. I'm like, okay, if I take him out, who else can I put in? Well, right now the gap in running backs and who are kind of in that, I don't know, forty five hundred to six thousand dollar range, there's just not a lot of great options. And and Thomas Erlington's better than any of them. So if he's not in your lineup, you're probably doing some some different looking things. He's definitely in mine. Yeah, he's pretty much the first piece I put in. My running backs were somehow the easiest thing I've I've fit into this lineup this week, and it's normally the last place I go. Uh, but that's because decisions are easy when you put a, a number one guy at $4,000. So thank you for that, Sean Thomas Erlington. You will be staying in my lineup for the foreseeable future if your price is staying around there. Uh, which it won't, so get him while he's there. Yeah, comp- competition committee is not going to allow that to happen. So, <laughs> Eventually they wise up and they put these guys out of reach and then we have to go back to the drawing board. Uh, Jeff, you want to tell us about uh, Argos week one? What do we expect? What's going to happen in this one? Who do you like? This is the first time we're seeing the Argos this year. They had that week one bye. Uh, three teams are off this week, so uh, a lot of bye weeks early, but it's our first chance to look at that James franklin uh, Darrell Walker duo. We're going to see uh, S.J. Green and Armonte Edwards. And uh, of anyone, I like Armonte Edwards going into this week. I mean, I, I think he's sort of the forgotten man in that offense, but a very reliable receiver at not the worst price. I think Darrell Walker, as much as I love him this year, he may have a tough time against Delvin Bro. That's going to be quite the matchup there, but I, don't, I certainly don't expect him to go off, uh, as you would expect from a top uh, paid top salaried receiver of anyone there I'm liking Armonte Edwards and I like James Wilder too he's going to get the ball a lot and it's about volume with James Wilder Jr. You know the guy that we haven't talked at all about is James Franklin which I'm a little surprised at I know how big a fan of his you are Jeff but like he, I was very close to putting him right now I've got Trevor Harris in my lineup and Harris is actually about $2,200 rather cheaper than Franklin but and $9,500, Franklin's really interesting to me because I, I, I feel good things coming for him this season. And the interesting thing about him, much like Dominique Davis in Ottawa, we know how athletic he is, and we know they don't take the football out of his hands when they get inside the 10 or the 5. So uh, James Franklin's one of the more intriguing players for me. Right, It was a toss-up right until I set my lineup between Franklin and Harris. And heck, it might be a toss-up until the games actually start getting played on Thursday. James Franklin... I think is a really intriguing guy to think about having him in your lineup in week number two. He's interesting to me too, but the ceiling is starting to drop a little bit as far as the top quarterbacks go. And James Franklin isn't Mm -hmm. all that far off from Mike Riley. So yeah, he's less than $2,000 behind. Given that I'm going to go with Mike Riley in this week two matchup against his former team. It's too good for me to pass up on. Yeah, normally when you get a guy who doesn't have a ton of experience, you can get him at cheaper than 9500 But uh, definitely still a guy I'm looking at. I haven't at all figured out what I'm going to do at quarterback, which I have to figure out before I throw in any of the rest of my lineup, just because 
It's so expensive. Um, let's switch back to running backs quickly because we're going to rank these guys in week two. You have to take value into account. But if we're talking William Powell, James Wilder Jr., C.J. Gable, Moses Madu, John White, and Sean Thomas Erlington, where do you guys lean? Who are your top guys this week? I'm going C.J. Gable as my number one. like the matchup, and, and again, like we said, it's about uh, sort of attacking that vulnerability of the BC Lions front seven and, and their run defense. Uh, Sean Thomas Erlington, based off that value at $4,000, uh, is my number two. James Wilder, third. Uh, William Powell, just because of the price, he's so expensive, is my fourth followed by Moses Madu and John White. That's exactly what I have. Yeah, high five. <laughs> yes. I don't know if and it was loud enough. Change... I don't know if that carried through the mic. <laughs> All I've got is Gable and Erlington swapped. I've got, uh, sorry, uh, Wilder and, and Erlington swapped. I've got Wilder 2 and Erlington, uh, oh, Thomas Erlington 3. Okay. So, yeah. so I that's, thought you were really jumping change. on the Erlington bandwagon <laughs> there. I was shocked, floored. Wow, I really didn't expect us all to agree that heavily on the running backs, but it's a little bit easier when you only have a three matchup week and the prices vary so wildly. One and two, Gable and Erlington in my lineup so far, and I don't think those are, are moving right now. Um, we talked about a stack possibly in, in BC last week. What's your favorite stack for week two? I, I've got the the old-fashioned triple stack going right now uh, <laughs> that I'm looking at and it's again with the BC Lions but I'm going in a different direction I'm not going with Burnham and Carter I gotta save a little bit of cash this week I'm going Riley Carter and Lamar Durant really like Lamar Durant coming up and uh, his usage in that offense he's starting to look like a solid number three offense behind Burnham and Carter so I think there's a lot of value to be had early in the season from Lamar Durant that's under seven thousand dollars, eh? For or just under seven thousand, or just over seven thousand, rather, for your two receivers. It's a pretty good buy, I think. Durant and Carter. If you're going to load up on BC and go with those two on top of Riley, I think that that's a a nice way to go. I I'm going to stick with the Trevor Harris, Greg Ellingson stack. I've got them locked into my lineup. I know Ellingson. Ellingson had a good game. He wasn't incredible. He was my lock of the week last week. He was fine, um, but did not did not have a touchdown catch. He certainly is one of the guys that. Has is going to continue targeting on a regular basis. I just, again, I think BC Edmonton is going to be a shootout, so I don't think you're wrong either way. Like, if you're going to go heavy on the Lions or heavy on the Eskimos, I think you're making the right call either way. I just really think there's a lot to exploit with Harris and Ellingson in the first few weeks of the season, so I'm going to stick with them in week two. All that matters is that Greg Ellingson gets 10 points every week so that my preseason <laughs> prediction holds up. So far, so good. You hit that mark. That's last week, all that so. matters. I, I wrote down three, and you guys named two of them. So the third one, a uh, bit more of a value stack. Although, you know what? Yeah, a bit more of a value. Uh, Franklin and SJ Green or Armani Edwards. You can get both of those Either guys one, eh? yeah. for $15,000 combined. That could be a pretty effective stack for not too much money. Could be a big game for those two. I, I think I want to see a bit more from Toronto. Like, I'm always nervous. We, we called him Play It Safe Pat last year, but here I am on wait and see. Well, I can tell you from the early selections that that would be, definitely be a roll of the dice. The Toronto player um, not being selected until outside of the top 10 picks right now. All highest right. picked players. 
I think we have made it to the three-minute warning. Three-minute. Actually, the top player is, is James Wilder. He's the 17th most chosen player. So it's low. Not much. Uh, not not much traction for the Argos. Rod, what was that? Three-minute warning now, or is it? It is the warning. That's right. Three-minute warning. Meaning money picks lock of the weeks. Uh, as always, we're gonna stick with money pick first. Pat, who is your money pick, a guy under $3,500? I'm going to break the rules a little bit. What? Uh, he's, he's not under 3500 but he's right in and around the range. I just think you've got to put Lamar Durant in this conversation. I know, Jeff, you just talked about him in your BC stack. Yeah, he's not technically under $3,500, but if you've got a little spare change to play around with on your salary cap, Lamar Durant, I think, is going to help you right around $3,700 a touchdown in week one and yeah I think he's going to be a solid red zone option and in a pass heavy offense having the number three target at $3,700 yeah pretty solid way to go controversy on the CFL fantasy podcast well you know what I was going to go with the same guy you were going to go with so I decided I'd take the bullet I'll take the controversial one you can have the layup (laughs) well the people this is this is an eye-rolling one because it's no surprise until that price goes up, I'm, I'm rolling with Deron Carter again as my money pick. I already said I got him in my lineup. Yep. And uh, if you're going with the BC Lions triple stack, whether it's, whether it's Carter, Burnham, Riley, uh, whatever you want to do, if you have faith in the BC Lions, Carter uh, and his 10 targets in, in week one, yeah, he's going to be a really active part of that BC Lions passing attack. And I, I, I really believe, I predict... He's getting a touchdown this week against the Edmonton Eskimos. It's going to happen. Mike Riley to Deron Carter. And then we can all listen to Mike Riley. <laughs> the, new, the new hit single. Uh, I want to take Katie Cannon because he had such a good week one. But with the quarterback mess over in Saskatchewan, I can't do it. So I'm going to go Taya J. another true money pick, $2,500. Had 9.4 points last week. So proved he can be effective if you are really strapped for cash uh, and you need a very cheap money pick, Taya J uh, of the Eskimos. Let's switch to lock of the week. Jeff, who do you have locked into your lineup? I got another cheap receiver. I gave you, I gifted everyone a cheap one last week in Jerron Carter and he came through as my lock. And this week I'm going with Braylon Addison. He's too quiet last week. Uh, for that to continue, he's going to be an integral part of that passing attack against the Argos. And I think that defense is going to give Luke Tasker and Brandon Banks a ton of attention. So Braylon Addison, got to love the cost at touch under $4,000. And we saw what he can do in the playoffs. He's a high-volume guy for the Ticats. Don't let one bad week throw you off with Braylon Addison. Yeah, he's too good to pass up at $3,700. He's in my lineup, too. Uh, I get that one. I'm going to go with Trevor Harris. Far more expensive, but after what we saw from him in week number one with what we know he's capable of and the type of game that we're going to, I think, see or very likely see with BC and Edmonton, to have Harris at $9,200 is too good an option to pass up. I think we're going to see another you know, 300 yards for each quarterback, both Riley and Harris. Harris is $2,000 cheaper. He's got some really nice options at receiver. Trevor Harris in Edmonton is my lock of the week. All right, and my lock is C.J. Gable because I love what he did last week. Uh, pretty decent price at 7600 obviously one of the more expensive ones. 
but I think still reasonable. He's not in William Powell range. And up against BC run defense, I think he can do big things again this week. CJ Gable's my lock of the week. Okay, friends, that'll do it for another edition of the CFL Fantasy Podcast presented by Leo Vegas. And don't forget, just three games in week number two. We're already on to buys for a few teams, so just the three games in the second week of the season. For more of your fantasy football fix, head on over to CFL.ca. Great content over there. We have weekly start and sit tools from Daily Roto, including those all-important projections. Uh, They're pretty spot on on a lot of things in week one. Uh, And you can even, if you want to add the math up and pull out the calculator, you can see what your team is projected to get each week. Um, Although, it's not the be-all, end-all. So, um, Also, get ready for the waggle. David Sanchez, Donovan Bennett, coming at you every single week at cfl.ca slash the waggle. Dropping lots of CFL knowledge on you and all, all the latest news around the league as we get ready for another week of kickoff. I know we said this last week, but it feels great to have football back every week. I love it. It's been a long off season. Welcome back, football. <laughs> And don't forget to check us out every week. Subscribe. We're on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, or you can listen to us right on cfl.ca. Don't forget to review and leave us a comment because, you know, we read them. All right. Uh, Hannah is on Twitter at HL Nordman. Creever on Twitter at Jeff Creever. I'm at Fan960 Steinberg. Enjoy week number two. We'll talk to you in one week's time. Good luck, everybody. That's done, that'll do it for the CFL Fantasy Podcast for another week. <laughs>